Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Monday edition of the Mailbag. Uh, we are going to jump right into a bunch of questions uh, surrounding the Oregon football program. Uh, that's kind of where we're at right now in terms of fan interest, and understandably so. But first and foremost, before we uh, dive into the show, I want to remind you guys, go on YouTube and look up the account Oregon Ducks on 24-7 Sports. That is our new YouTube page. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Subscribe to the show on there. It's free. We'll be posting some stuff throughout the week leading up to the Arizona game and then throughout the rest of the season and into basketball, into recruiting, and down forth we go. So make sure to go check that out. Go search for Oregon Ducks on 24-7 Sports. That will get you onto the page, and then uh, you can like and subscribe to the show there. Also, I'll include it in the story on duckterritory.com as well as the show notes for the podcast as well if you listen to it on google or spotify or itunes what have you you also can click the link there as well all right eric uh you are the man in charge of collecting the questions each week and let's kick us off with the first one yeah we're going to start with at louise bond outside of fresno state no starting receiver has had over 50 yards receiving in a game does Oregon need somebody to step up and be that clear-cut, go-deep threat, wide receiver one going forward? Um, a fair amount to unpack here. He's very much accurate in terms of the lack of receiving uh, just stats, period, really, for a receiver. There's no dominant receiver. I think Oregon, Oregon's Johnny Johnson is, is 22nd in the Pac-12 in receiving yards, and he is the most yards on the team. So that puts into perspective. There's like 21 receivers on other teams that have more yards than he does, and he has about 100, I think 117 if I – and remembering correctly, um, there has not been that dominant number one. I think going into the year, we kind of thought this would be the case, right? I mean, I think we kind of were like, hmm, maybe it won't be a, a situation where there is that one one guy and it'll be kind of more collective. But I think even through three games, I've been surprised that there hasn't been just a big game really from anybody. Um, Johnny Johnson, as the question, as Luis uh, mentioned, did have like three catches for 71 yards against Fresno State. That's really the big game thus far. Um, the, the next biggest game was Dante Thornton two catches for 60 yards on Saturday and 54 came on one catch. So um, there really hasn't been that big play, um, big game, just specifically for a receiver all season. Um, now to the next point here of does Oregon need somebody to step up? Yes and no, probably. I mean, I think obviously you'd like to see someone establish themselves there. And we also can't say, I think, confidently through three games that that's not already the case. It's a smaller sample size. Obviously, you'd like to see someone with big numbers. Um, but do they need it for the offense to really thrive? Like, I think the offense can be pretty good as is. And I will note that one of the things that Jared and I noticed on rewatch was it seems like the tight end position is a position that Joe Moorhead really wants to kind of prioritize and, and focus on. They, they lined up both Maliki Matavau and Terrence Ferguson out wide quite a bit against um, uh, over the weekend against Stony Brook and, and threw to them in kind of like ISO situations. So I think it's going to be a, a, a combination of a lot of things here in the passing game. I will agree, though, that you look at the numbers and you, there's not certainly a clear-cut number one right now. I, Am I going or is it Matt? I can go. I, I don't think it's a cause for concern right now. Um, 
I do think in a perfect world, you would like to see someone show up and become that consistent guy. I also think the first two the first two of the three opponents that have played have played a factor in uh, Oregon's passing statistics. You know, like against Stony Brook, um, obviously Anthony Brown gets hurt and they lean on the run game a little bit and then the score gets a little out of hand and um, we don't see them throw the ball downfield a ton. Um, they did score two passing touchdowns in the second half uh, with Ty Thompson, but um, the first one was a Terrence Ferguson jump pass when they tried to run the first play to score and they didn't. Um, and then the second one was what, like a 15, 10-yard catch that turned into a 54-yard touchdown pass um, because Dante Thornton is very fast and he got a really good block to spring him. Um, so I, I don't I don't think it's a cause for concern right now. That being said, if you want to recruit the best receivers in the country, if you want to recruit uh, the best tight ends in the country, the best running backs in the country, at some point you need to be able to show, hey, like if you come here, you can be like player X who currently is, you know, third in the conference in, in receptions and first in the conference in receiving yards and ninth nationally in touchdown receptions. Like you need to have um, some kind of standing block to stand on to show recruits, to, to show the NFL that you have that, you know, bona fide guy. Now, does that mean you have to have a superstar receiver, a guy that's going to go over a thousand yards to win a national championship or to win a Pac-12 championship? No, because Oregon did that in 2019. They won the Pac-12 championship and they didn't have a guy that was like statistically just amazing that season. Yeah, to answer the general question, if they need somebody as a deep threat, I'm going to go with no. I think they have options on the roster. I think Devin Williams is probably your best bet. Uh, Troy Franklin, Michael Pittman, like those guys can go deep as as can Chris Hudson. But this offense isn't going to put up great statistical passing numbers. And that's kind of how Joe Moorhead's offense is. You can look at it like from Penn State all the way back to his like his Fordham days. Like they're a big tight end heavy usage team. They'll spread the ball out wide and they'll they'll throw the running backs. So you look at the last two weeks, you have 10, 10 people catch a pass against Stony Brook. You have 11 people catch a pass against Ohio State. That's a lot of kids. Yeah. That's a lot of players. And if you look into it even more, you realize that you know, tight ends are getting three or four grabs each, basically, each week. And then you have running backs who are getting three to four grabs out of the backfield, too. So that's already eight to ten passes that a wide receiver will not get in a Moorhead offense. And I don't think anybody's going to be complaining because these are good passes. They gain yards. Uh, you look at all the, the tight end passes, you know, it saved the game with DJ Johnson and it got them, got them the game-winning touchdown with Maliki Matavao. I don't think this offense is going to produce statistical numbers that are going to be outlandish for any Oregon receiver, no matter who it is. And there's no Chris Godwin type of, of wide receiver that Moorhead had at Penn State at least not yet. Um, maybe Dante Thornton or Troy Franklin becomes that and becomes the number one option. But Eric and I were going over this yesterday in the rewatch. Oregon's receiving group is like eight or nine deep. 
like Dante Thornton had that 54 yard touchdown yesterday or on Saturday, and he's like eighth, sixth, ninth, ninth. In the depth chart. It's like ninth. It's we, ran, we ran through it. I, I, I said sixth and thought the same thing. That it's like ninth. Yeah. So, and he's he would be starting at uh, I would say at most other Pac-12 teams right now. So it's a great wide receiver core. There's probably not going to be someone who's going to have an unbelievable game this year. But I, I don't think it's it's not it's not a complaint. I, well, just a couple of thoughts before we move on to the next one. I think um, in rewatching the game and all the games now a couple of times, there there have been opportunities, and it's not like receivers haven't been open down the field. Um, and you can be critical. I think if if there has been a shortcoming for Anthony Brown, it has been he just hasn't connected downfield. Period. Really, um, I think the throw to Micah Pittman. Um, that could have should have been a touchdown, by the way. Um, and you're probably a little bit of a different feel for the game if Micah Pittman just has more awareness on the sideline. That was like kind of an unforced error. That should have easily been a touchdown. He just didn't know where his feet were. No one even touched him to force him out. Um, but that was probably the, the most impressive or the longest throw down field I can think of in terms of just pure ball in the air time. And so, I mean, I think Devin Williams has had at least four to five deep balls the last two weeks where it's like if he gets just a better throw or if the quarterback looks that way, um, there's a there's a potential for a touchdown in a long play, and you're talking a little bit differently here. So some of this is not just specifically the receivers. I think is also notable. Oregon's really talented here, so I understand maybe some frustration with the lack of like a big big stat guy. Um, but as we said, part of it is is because there is depth, and a lot of guys play, and the ball has moved around a lot. So um, I get it though. I get it because the passing game was is a big part of this. Um, this offense, and I think everybody's really excited about the talent at receiver. But I don't think, as Jared said, it's a good point. Um, this offense doesn't necessarily, you know, highlight wide receivers the same way it does running backs. And I think even tight ends to a certain point would be my perspective through a couple weeks. All right. Next one from at urban slaughter one hashtag odds and audibles. Should we be concerned by our DBs? They have not looked good in any of our three victories. We seem to be winning in spite of them rather than because of them. Okay. Um, I disagree. Um, now I will say anybody watched the game, DJ James got burnt twice and pretty badly on beat passes. One was a completion. Mm -hmm. One was just, just just not a good throw, but could have been, um, own up to that. But if you're talking about like, <laughs> like Verone McKinley's probably been the best defensive player on the team through three games. And he's honestly maybe an all American right now. And Bennett Williams hasn't been too far behind in terms of how he's played in the box. Um, and I don't think Mikhail Wright has been bad. I mean, I just kind of go through here. Like, I, I don't, I think individually and collectively, I'm like, I don't just, just disagree. I understand the production hasn't been fantastic, but this question also comes after they had three interceptions and the quarterback for Stony Brook was like 12 for 23 for, I forget how many yards it wasn't. He threw think. for 131 yards. Yeah. And they had three interceptions. So, I mean, I, I disagree on the defensive backs being bad. Um, I think again, they've also, I mean, like, not to cut you off, Eric, they've also played the best receiving core in the country at Ohio State. And as we have seen Saturday night against UCLA, probably a top 10 receiving core in Fresno State and what they can do with Jalen Cropper and Ty Jones and the rest of the gang there at Fresno State. Like they've played two really good units that will have NFL players on it. Yeah, not to mention right, a really, really impressive quarterback in Jake Hayner. I don't know who stayed up to watch Fresno State UCLA, but the throws he made to win that game should remind you of why maybe the passing stats against Oregon in the opener weren't fantastic. That Fresno State team is for real. We've got a question later on that, so I don't want to jump on that too much. But 
Um, I don't know. I'll just throw it to either of you guys. Do you, I mean, Jared, I guess, because Matt suggested a little bit. Do you, does your, are you kind of in agreement with us that you're not overly concerned with the defensive backs at this point, or, or do you kind of see something to the point of the question? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that Oregon's defensive backs are going to be and are just fine. There's a deep room. DJ James did get beat twice, at least twice against Stony Brook. They weren't, they weren't great, but they were both in the first half. The second half, I, I, I don't have the, the numbers right in front of me, but I do feel like Stony Brook probably didn't even throw for 80 yards in the second half. Like they were locked down on defense. Uh, Bennett Williams has been tremendous this year. As has Verone McKinley, as you know, he's had three interceptions the last two games. Uh, Michael Wright is is usually up there leading the team in tackles. And while the coverage can be suspect at points, mostly because Oregon has played just really soft and kept everything in front of them the first two weeks of the game, you know, they're they're not missing in the open field on tackles, which is huge, because as a, a good tackling secondary like saves touchdowns, saves a 15 yard play into a 35, 40 yard play. And I don't think that's that's talked about enough in terms of just a general defensive back perspective, because the only thing you want to see is, you know, Ohio State three years ago when they had Jeff Okuda and Sean Wade, like at the same time, two first round picks. And it was or an Alabama defense where it's a no fly zone like Oregon will give up passing numbers. But again, if you look at who their opponents are the next couple of weeks, Stanford's going to be the biggest test to see how good of a defensive group they are. No one on no one on earth is going to be good against Sony against Fresno State or Ohio State in terms of passing number production, and to 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 disparage Oregon secondary because of those numbers going into Week Four, I just don't think is the right thing to do. This is a good unit; they're a little inexperienced in terms of just general, you know, like a couple of freshmen are really playing here, but. This is still a good unit, and it's only going to learn and get better over the course of the season as well. And I know we probably sound like homers or like we're just, you know, backing the program and not being critical, but I, I just think objectively they haven't been that bad. And we're not the only ones saying that they think that they haven't been bad. Oregon's coaching staff has been very – I wouldn't say they've they've said they've been perfect. That's definitely not been the case. But no. I mean, go listen to what Tim DeRuder said last week in the press conference of just being kind of like, hey – we, the game plan was this, and it was exactly what we had said in the podcast. I think anybody who know, kind of knows football understood it was against Ohio State. Sure, we gave up big yards, but we didn't want to give up the big ones, and they didn't, aside from one, um, and they won that football game. And he also said because mm -hmm. of having DJ James, we talked about this on the lead-up pod, they think they're going to play a little more aggressively. I didn't actually think they played that aggressively, by the way, in coverage. They played a lot of zone from what I saw um, against Stony Brook, so... Um, we still haven't really seen that fully come together. I know DJ got beat a couple times in man, um, which was disappointing. Um, and you can point to those plays. Absolutely. I mean, he was beat. And there's no way around it um, by lesser talent. But I just think collectively, I don't think I'm my alarm bells aren't ringing. And if it's if it's just DJ got beaten in, in coverage a couple times. OK, maybe Dante Manning or TriQuest Bridges gets another shot or more of an opportunity going forward. Which, by the way, those guys barely played meaningful snaps last week, which is kind of interesting. Um, but maybe that's what happens, but I don't think it's like massive cause for concern going into Arizona. All right. Third one from at Johnny, the K do you think Robbie Ashford or Jay Butterfield will enter the transfer portal at the end of this football season? Um, I guess maybe, maybe, but like, I not overly confident that's the case. I mean, Butterfield also played against Stony Brook and I know Thompson clearly is their number two guy. And, and the trend right now with college football is anytime, 
you know, it's you're your same age or older or around the same age as somebody and, and that person is elevated and given the starting job, you take off. But I also don't think that Mario Crispo hasn't come out and said the job has been won by Ty Thompson for 2022. Mm-hmm. And I don't, don't think Robbie Ashford or Jay Butterfield think this thing is over for 2022. Um, they understand in 2021 where things are at and we'll get better clarity, I think, again, throughout this season about how strong Ty, Dance, or sorry, Ty Thompson's standing is as that second quarterback. Um, but like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not overly concerned right now about that. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Are, are you, are you guys have drastically different opinions? Are you guys expecting one of those guys is like a surefire transfer just because Ty Thompson got more snaps this game? I don't think so. I mean, they played two quarterbacks. Like if Ty Thompson was, was so far ahead of the other guys, I don't think they get both in, you know, I, I, I think they play just Ty Thompson. Um, the fact that they played Jay Butterfield, I think is, is telling. Um, and we, how many times have, have we seen, you know, Anthony Brown, not Anthony Brown, go back to, oh, when was it? 2013 or 2011, I think. Brian Bennett shows up and was like, anointed the replacement for Darren Thomas when he shows up and it was like, Oh wow. Like this Bennett kid is really good. He's not going to play this year because Darren's here. He probably won't play the next year because Darren will be a senior, but when he's a redshirt sophomore, Ryan Bennett's going to be the guy like he's ready to go. He, we have full confidence that he is the next quarterback at Oregon. And then what happened? Marcus Mariota showed up a year of development in the system while during his redshirt season. Some people believe prompted Darren Thomas to transfer or to go pro because he didn't think he would keep his starting job because of Marcus. And then Marcus Mariota beat out Brian Bennett for the quarterback job. Um, so like there's still so much time left that these guys are going to develop um and maybe in november the light switch clicks on or one of these other guys behind ty thompson something just clicks for them and their game just skyrockets up and all of a sudden going into bowl season it's oh wow we thought ty was going to be the guy but you know, he, he's gotten better, but it's not been even close to how much better player blank ha, has gotten. Like, we, we see this happen all the time. So I, I don't anticipate these guys um, to transfer. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. Like, it, would it surprise me at the end of the year if one of these three guys transfers? No. We've been saying this on the show for a long time, that, you know, history shows that one of these three will not finish their career at Oregon. And it's just when does that happen? It could be end of this year, but I think it would be poor judgment on anyone's part to leave before you have an idea of where you sit and if you have a legit chance at the depth chart to win the job when Anthony Brown graduates. So if you guys don't think that they're going to transfer at the end of the year, do you think that they do transfer or one of them does transfer in general? Matt, yeah. you, you just answer that. Eric, yeah, I, yeah. I, I do, and I would expect it to be after spring of 2022 rather than after the 21 season just because I think you – I mean, 
look, we all thought Henry. I mean, I just just was writing a story this morning about it, so it's fresh in my mind. We all thought Henry Cattleman was the the kicker this season, and but Oregon went through sp- right. spring and fall and gave Camden an opportunity to come in and, and win the job back, and he did. So I just think the way competition is built around this program, it doesn't behoove a player to leave without giving him a full spring and maybe a full fall to really figure it out. Because I also don't expect Mario is going to come out and say one way or the other um, until you maybe get into fall. Um, We might not know until about a year from now who the 2022 starter is. So I just think it's premature for either of them um, to leave. Plus having spoken with both guys, I I didn't ask him straight up, but it, 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 it did feel like both of them kind of understood the circumstances and wanted to give this a shot as long as possible. And with Ashford in particular, with the baseball part, I just don't know if he leaves either way. Yeah, I was going to get to that. I don't know. I don't know if Robbie Ashford leaves just because he has, it's kind of, it's kind of like Kyler Murray when he was at Oklahoma where like he didn't start his first year, but he was still playing baseball at the same time because at that time he was a better baseball prospect than he was a quarterback yeah and and you could argue the same thing with ashford now in like i've seen him on some 2023 but like uh just draft big boards just sitting there you know he's that's that's a different topic for a different day but it does seem like all three of them thompson ashford and butterfield all have a legitimate inner feeling that they could win the job for next year and you know only one of them wins the job but Matt brings up a good example of, you know, somebody pushing their chips in the middle, like, oh, this guy's got it. You know, Ty's got it. Ashford's got it. Butterfield's got it. There's there's no need for for me to stay or something like that. And then they get injured. They they actually aren't that good. And then competition becomes available. And to, to leave, like, hypothetically at the end of this year, uh, which I'll reiterate the point that you guys have been saying, it's just it's too early. And until they get the full opportunity to prove what their worth is and to prove that they can be the starter, it should be the starter. I don't think any of them are going to leave. And I, I, I agree with that, that being spring term and the spring term is probably when somebody will decide to leave, but it probably won't be Ashford because spring term will be all baseball all the time for him. So I don't even know, he won't even really get the opportunity to showcase his worth and talent. Just one last thought on this, and then we'll jump to the next one. Um, kind of because it because it touches on Oregon's next opponent. You don't have to look very far to see a situation where a quarterback situation can change in season either. Like Arizona started Gunner Cruz its first game. He played mm-hmm. the second game. They then benched him for Will Plummer. Will Plummer then got pulled by Jordan McLeod, their third string to start the season. He finished the game against Northern Arizona. And now Jed Fish is talking about how maybe he's going to go with a third starting quarterback four games into a season. I mean, that's worst case. And I don't think Oregon would, would be in a spot. Where they, worst would, case. Well, they wouldn't lose three straight games to start a season and have to switch quarterbacks. But all I'm saying is like, who knows? I mean, let's see what happens getting into. I mean, I think you probably owe yourself at least part of this. You know, maybe you're the 2022 season too. If you're if you really think you have a shot at this, just because mm-hmm. who knows what happens with Ty Thompson? He also could get hurt. Um, you know, right. and, and what, what's yeah, the behind that? So I just think there's a lot of reasons for guys to stick around. I'm not saying that it's impossible, but um, there's logic for for people to stick this out. Um, you you never know um, what can happen in terms of injuries. What can happen in terms of like shoot? Look at USC right now with with Jackson Dart and. He might right. Keaton Slovis, Keaton Slovis. So, I mean, there's all these examples of, I think, it's if you're a talented quarterback and a good program, sticking around isn't always the worst choice. All right. Next one here from at Who's the Voss. When you go from Ohio State to Stony Brook, the hangover 
slash playing down to their level is natural. But do you think going from Stony Brook to Arizona, which may be worse, will be another, <laughs> which is great, by the way, will be another slow start? Um, Arizona did lose to an FCS team last week. Didn't look very good doing it. Um, <laughs> I mean, just Arizona's, Arizona's the third best team in the state of Arizona, and they have two FBS football programs. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I was just going to say, do we? I mean, I think Stony Brook is probably not as good as Arizona, totally, having actually watched a little Arizona. Arizona's actually got some dudes, but they are not good. Um, I can't so. tell you anyone that plays on Arizona's team. And normally, <laughs> I can tell you at least two or three guys that play on every single Pac-12 team in the conference, and more often than not, a lot more than that. And I can't tell you a single guy on Arizona's team. I know zero players on that team. Well, Matt, you can read this week's Know the Foe um, on DuckTerritory.com. <laughs> Good plug. Introduce you to five players on the Arizona football team. Natural transition. That story, by the way, has not been written yet, so uh, it might be getting up slightly after when you listen to it. Um, and I will also say, Matt, that uh, I don't know if I have five off the top of my head. I think I do, but it's just from having watched all their highlight packages on Sunday. Um, yeah. So it's not like I went into knowing any players um, really on my own. Um, yeah, I mean, the point is, is fair of like, I think going into the year, we at least thought maybe Arizona. I mean, I know we didn't think Arizona would be good, but we thought like Arizona would have beaten Northern Arizona. They'd be coming off a win. It wouldn't be ridiculous to say that they're, you know, significantly better than an FCS team that Oregon beat by 41. I, this, these are sort of comparable-ish teams to a certain degree here. Um, to the point of the question about playing down in a hangover and a slow start, um, I don't know. I, it, it certainly has been a bit of a trend the last game, but like, I also would say like, look at how they started against Fresno state. They came out on fire in that game. And if not for some injuries, that game probably goes different. And they did the same thing with Ohio state. So against decent teams, they have started better. Um, I also think this is a conference game and it's my feeling. Students are going to be on campus too. St students are going to be there, which is exciting. And it's also my feeling a lot of guys who are hurt and didn't play against Stony Brook are going to play in this game. And those are defensive leaders in part. Um, so I think they are going to come out and, and, and play a lot faster. Now, and I, I guess one caveat I will say, though, if Anthony Brown's not available and they have a backup quarterback, Ty Thompson, starting, maybe there's room for the game to get to a little bit of a slower start. But I think if Oregon is as healthy as we – if they improve from a health perspective, which I think we think they will, um, yeah, I, I, I think they should be able to thump Arizona pretty good. But we'll see. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't think there's going to be a letdown. Like – Knowing this team is going into Pac-12 play now, um, the students are going to be on campus. Even though Arizona lost to Northern Arizona, it's you're not playing an FCS team where the expectation is like you you need to win by 42 points. Like that's a different level than a 27 point favorite. Like. I don't think people – we got really spoiled by watching a four-year stretch with Chip Kelly at head coach when Oregon would play an FCS opponent and they would put up 77, 70 points, 63, 66 points, you know, on the regular. Like that was totally normal. And I don't think people understand that that's not normal. And, I mean, shoot. I understand New Mexico is not an FCS team, but 
a top 10 Texas A&M team won 34 to nothing on Saturday. And for the most part, no one looked at that and was like, that's a bad game. Like it, it just happens. Like, so I, I don't expect Oregon to play down to their level of competition, if you will, against Northern Arizona or against Arizona. Um, I don't think you can correlate a slow start if it happens because they weren't prepared or they were overlooking Arizona. Um, Austin, Austin should also be a different vibe than it was on Saturday against Stony Brook. Students are in are in town. Uh, the place is going to be popping because it's going to be a 7.30 kick. It's going to be extremely nice weather. It's like 80s that day, you know, whereas against Stony Brook, there was a potential monsoon. You know, there was a monsoon. It just happened to be right before the game started. Um, and it's a game in which you know that Oregon's supposed to win by seven touchdowns, six touchdowns. Um, so I, I, I think Saturday will be a different we'll, – we'll, we'll feel and look entirely different than it did against Stone Brook. Yeah, I don't anticipate them playing down to the level of their competition. Uh, I thought the first half at Stony Brook – wasn't wasn't bad. I think it ended on a sour note where you had AB take two sacks at the end of the half and you know make a make two bad decisions with a pass, a couple passes beforehand. But I thought they played well. And if you look at Anthony Brown's stat, that's stats, that's like the best half he's played all season. And I don't think they played down the Stony Brooks competition level. I thought they played much better than them and were gonna cruise to an easy you know, like 34, 42 to 7 win no matter what. Um, and this is kind of gonna. I think this will be the same, the same idea. Like Matt and Eric have said, it's going to be a different Austin Stadium. It's not going to be raining. There's going to be students there. It's going to be. Hopefully, it'll be packed and it'll be a great environment again for college football. And it's a conference game. It's the first one of the season. I know Oregon has already made their statements this year with wins over Fresno State and Ohio State. But this is they. They want to make a statement of the conference. You know, everybody else seems to be losing to, to non-conference people, and this is the this is the time for Oregon to be like, all right, we're just not going to lose to conference opponents either. So, I anticipate I I can kind of anticipate Oregon, you know, coming out with their hair on fire, kind of similar to how they played against Arizona in, in 2019, where everybody's like, oh, well, this is you know kind of a vanilla offense at points, and they they don't take the deep shot, and lo and behold, they can take a couple deep shots and they convert. So. I'll I'll be excited to watch that game for sure. I mean, obviously, but just to have another like an in-conference game and and Notson Stadium for the first time in a while is going to be a good time too. One one thought, and then we'll move to the last one. I, I just was thinking here: can we think of a worse conference opponent Oregon has played? Arizona's lost 15 straight games and just lost to an FCS team. I mean, I, I I'm hard pressed to think of another time. I guess you go back to Tyrone Willingham at Washington when they lost 12 straight in a single season. That team was bad, but like. This feels like a really bad Arizona team comparatively. And having watched the the highlights, they could got again, they've got some guys that aren't terrible, terrible. They've got a couple of receivers that are explosive, a couple of running backs, but collectively this team's bad. Um, I, I I mean I think again, I think if you Oregon should win this game very handily. I think this the spread was about four scores to open. That feels like kind of a minimum number here. Um, I know it's conference. Arizona will will play its best. We'll try to win this game. Jedfish is an NFL. You know, as a coach with a lot of NFL pedigree and experience, I expect him to come out and pull out all the all the tricks. I just don't think it really matters all that much because the talent disparity is 
so significant here. And Arizona, again, it's just 15 straight losses is, is honestly just impressive at this point. It um, is. It's tough to do. It's impressive. So Arizona is in the talent composite for 24-7 sports. They are 66th in the nation, one spot ahead of Florida Atlantic. Um, Boise State is a couple spots higher at 64, which is kind of surprising. But there are some Pac-12 teams that are pretty similar. Um, Washington State is at 63. Oregon State is at 54. Um, this was a surprise to me. Iowa State is at 57. So, I mean, we looked at this last year, Eric, and we put egg on ourselves by yeah. <laughs> saying that there's no way that Iowa State would, you know, hang with Oregon from a talent perspective. It'd have to be lack of execution. Um, Arizona has three four-star recruits on their team. That's it. Three. Um, Oregon has 44 four-star recruits on its team. They have four, four uh, five-star recruits. They are ninth nationally in team composite rank, you know, ratings. Uh, so this is a game in which Oregon straight up should blow them out. Um, it, it shouldn't be close. Um, to give you an idea, though, like sometimes things don't play out. Fresno State is 87th in team talent, and they – Lost by Oregon, they lost to Oregon by seven, and they beat UCLA, and they have one four-star recruit on their team. So it, it's it's a game in which, on paper, Oregon should straight up destroy these guys. It should be really ugly, but we've seen that it's not always the case that way. Yeah, the composite, I think, sorry, we'll go off on a slight tangent, is uh, is really helpful information at to, but it, to a certain level because there's also the point of, like, when you looked at, like, you mentioned Iowa State versus Arizona. The difference there is Iowa State as a football team had just almost won the Big 12 for the first yes. time in program history. They'd beaten Texas and Oklahoma that season. They had some quality wins. Arizona's beaten literally nobody since, like, mid-2019 season. Um, so... Um, I, I, the talent composite is very helpful for just kind of evaluating the recruiting parts of it, but there's also a, I think there's, there's just, there's a, not, not to trash our own service. Cause I think it's a valuable, I think it's a valuable, uh, piece of information and data point, but, um, there's, I think there's just a certain, to a certain point, it, it, once you get a guy on campus, it's how do you develop him? And clearly Arizona hasn't developed talent like Iowa state has, or else they'd have similar results to this point. Um, and I know that's not the point you're making, Matt. I just want to make that clear. But like, it's it is one of those things where I don't expect to be eating egg because Arizona just hasn't shown that they can they can do it. And I would say, actually, we probably should have given them more credit than we did last year. Um, all right, next one from at Prince Douglas. <laughs> How much does the current state of the Pac-12 after this weekend affect Oregon's ability to get into the playoff if they do drop a conference game? Also, what games could they lose and still get into the playoffs as a one-loss team? Hashtag Otson Audibles. The number of games they can lose is shrinking by the by the weekend. Um, I would have told you UCLA was one of them. Um, it might still be, depending on how the Bruins play the next couple of weeks. I mean, I don't know. Um, UCLA hosts Stanford, by the way, this weekend. That could be a really telling game for a couple of those programs. That's probably the game I'm most interested in the Pac-12, um, aside from Oregon's game. Um, I made this point in the elevator, Matt, of just like if Oregon does lose and it becomes – Oregon as a one-loss Pac-12 team against a one-loss Big 12 or a one-loss ACC or a one-loss, maybe not Ohio State because Oregon has the head-to-head. 
Um, but let's say a one loss other Big Ten team like Iowa, um, and Iowa also beats Ohio State. I, I do actually get a little concerned about Oregon's resume against other resumes. I know Oregon has, I think, arguably two of the best wins, maybe the two best wins for one team right now in the country with wins over Ohio State and Fresno State. I can't take anything away from that. Fresno State being this good, it could end up being a saving grace for Oregon because the Pac-12 is down because that's going to make that win look really, really good if Fresno State goes out and let's say they win the Mountain West and only lose one or two more games all year and, and they're a fringe top 25. Maybe they really, maybe they went out and they're a fringe top 10 team. But um, mm -hmm. I do think the Pac-12 being down could hurt, or hurt Oregon if they do drop a game um, because I think if it is straight up, Oregon as a one-loss Pac-12 team against a one-loss, let's just say Oklahoma for a spot. And Oklahoma's, the Big 12 has been a lot more impressive. The Big 10 has been a lot more impressive than the Pac-12. I know Oregon won the head-to-head, -head, but go look at the Colorado, Montana, or sorry, Minnesota box score. Um, go look at even what Maryland has done. I mean, the Pac-12 has one unbeaten team through three weeks. The Big 10, I think, has six or five. Um, you know, it's it's a different situation here. So I think Oregon is, is, a, is a very easy situation here when and you're in you lose once you're probably still in i would still give you like above 50 percent, but i would get a little bit nervous if there's other teams from like the big 10 or the big 12 that have one loss that are also in the midst there and the, i think the, the two to really be uh, just aware of are notre dame and cincinnati as teams that could get in if they're undefeated and it's a heads up between an undefeated team from those schools or one from the Pac-12 as Oregon as a one loss, I think that could get hairy too. Um, but again, I do think they can take a loss and probably make it. Um, what, Matt, what do you think in terms of who could they lose to and that still be acceptable? Because I don't think there's a lot of teams right now. <laughs> they lose to UCLA, that would be acceptable. Um, if they lose to Utah, that would be deemed acceptable. I think if they lost to Stanford, um, that would be something they could come back from. Um, we'll see what happens with Oregon State. Um, that's one where I'm kind of like not 100% sure how that would be perceived. But if, if Oregon State has a winning record, it, it wouldn't be that big of a negative. Um, I don't think you can lose to Washington because they lost so bad at Michigan. And then the week before that, they lost to Montana. Um, that, that I don't think you could come back from that. Um, if you lost to Arizona, you can't come back from that. Uh, I think if you lost to Cal, you probably can't come back from that. Um, that's pretty much Oregon's schedule. Washington State, that's a home That's a home game. Can't lose to Washington State on a – Colorado is the only other team you haven't named, and I don't think we think they can lose that one. No, they can't lose that game either. Um this is going to – if Oregon does lose a game, though, it's going to boil down to what does Ohio State and what does Fresno State do the rest of the way. Because if Ohio State has the year that they were thought to have and they go 11-1 and one and maybe they lose uh, – or maybe they go 10-2 and two in the regular season and they win the Big Ten championship to go to the Rose Bowl, you know, that's – that win will be enough to get Oregon into the college football playoff um, as long as Oregon doesn't have two losses. Uh, and if Fresno State somehow finishes in the top 25, now Oregon's going to have two top 25 wins under their belt at minimum, and potentially they could see UCLA still stay in there. Um, you know, we, we could see 
Stanford maybe work their way in. We could maybe see Arizona State work their way back in. Uh, what if they play a USC? What happens if USC goes 10-2? and two, They lose to Stanford in the Pac-12. They lose to Notre Dame non-conference. They, they win their other 10 games in the regular season. And a 10-2 and two USC team plays Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. The Trojans would be a top 12-ish team. Like, and, and you you beat that team too, like, they're going to be in. They're going to be fine. If they go undefeated, there's no question. Uh, if they lose one game and it's, and it's not a horrendous loss to an Arizona, Colorado, um, Washington State type of a team, they should be in as well. Yeah, I think regardless of who they lose to, if Oregon is a one-loss team, I think they get in. I, I, I just don't think it's going to matter. Uh, they'll probably have, yeah, they'll probably have one of the best strength of schedules at the end of the season. Like if you take, you know, like the top SEC teams out of it, um, they already have the two most impressive wins, you could say, in the country. I'm sure there's like one or two other teams up there. Georgia over Clemson is another great one. Um, you know, Bama having wins over Miami. Well, uh, maybe Miami's not that good, but <laughs> no, they stink. <laughs> they're, they're, they're kind of bad, actually. But yeah, I think I think this is if if Oregon just loses one game, I think they'll be in. But that's that's the problem. It's like, can you only lose one game? Yeah. No. If they if they win every game, obviously they're going to be in. But again, no one's done in the Pac-12. Maybe this is the year. There's always got to be the first one. But it's a nine-game conference slate. There's no real breaks in between. Um, they get all the all the easier games in the first couple weeks with Cal, Stanford, well, maybe not Stanford, but Cal and uh, Arizona this week. So we'll see if they can do that. And and the state of the Pac-12 certainly doesn't help their case. But if, if the Pac-12 stinks like it does now, that only helps Oregon in terms of, well, maybe they'll actually win out. Maybe they'll only lose one game because there's actually not a good conference opponent. You know, the big the Big 12 has been doing this for years with Oklahoma, and nobody seemed to care then. So now that the Pac-12 is kind of stinking and they have a, a team potentially being in the playoffs, I don't think people really enjoy that. And now everybody's going towards the, well, the Pac-12, that stinks as a conference. It's like, well, there are plenty of other conferences that, that kind of stink where they only have one top dog. So I think it'll be interesting to watch. Um, but I, I give it that. If Oregon only loses, only loses one game, I think they'll be in no matter what. Clemson is a really good example of the, in the ACC of kind of what Oregon's model is. Of their, that's just like a one-team conference. And actually, right now, if you think the Pac-12 stinks, the ACC actually the ACC. has has actually has worse from a ranking perspective. Clemson is ninth, and I think UNC is twenty-first. Pac-12 has as Oregon and UCLA. UCLA, I think, were they twenty-fourth, twenty-third? forget where there's two different polls and they're different ranking in both, but I think they're 24th um, in the AP. Okay. So, but three to 24. So that's pretty comparable. Um, and, and I, I just think my only concern if, if I really have one um, is if it ends up being just for the four seed, a matchup between a one loss pack 12 team in Oregon and a one loss team from the big 10. And that would probably almost only be the case if well, obviously an SEC team is getting in and let's just say Clemson is getting in and then and North Carolina. Well, I'm just saying hypothetically. I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and let's just say Cincinnati or Notre Dame. One of those teams is unbeaten at that point, and it comes down to a one-loss Oregon against, let's say, a one-loss Iowa. 
I could see that getting a, a little a little nerve wracking, a little hairy there in a tough decision for the committee. Um, last one from at Tosh Myers, which win will look better at the end of the year? Fresno State or Ohio State? Hashtag odds and audibles. Love the question. I will say before we jump into this, and I, I had this thought earlier, but I thought I'd save it because it ties into this question. Do we agree that it's probably likely Oregon's two best wins of the season in the regular season, maybe not in the conference, maybe a conference championship game is better, but they already maybe have their two best wins for the entire season right now. Like, do we think they're going to get a Pac-12 win that we feel is significantly better or more impressive than Fresno State or Ohio State? Because I don't think I do. No, probably not. Like, I, I don't think they'll come close to getting a win as good as Ohio State. Right. Uh, Fresno State should, you know, the Mountain West is tough. They'll have they'll have a good conference slate, but you know they're twenty second in the country right now. Like that's already pretty impressive. That's higher than any any other Pac twelve team in the AP poll. So as of today, yeah, that's their second most impressive win. Um, yeah, it, it kind of depends on what the championship game looks like. Like like Matt was saying, if USC you know, right. loses two more games, they're nine to three going in there in a ranked team. That'll that'll be a good win too. It'll be over USC, so it'll mean a little more. Um, but if you just look right now, I mean, all the all the preseason Pac-12 ranked teams are not there anymore. Uh, I don't know if UCLA goes, gets back up to number thirteen where they were. Um, that that'll be that week eight against UCLA will be a big game. I think Stanford should will probably be ranked by the time they play. So that'll be another uh, potential ranked win. So we'll see. But as of today, yeah, those are looking down the, the barrel. Like those are the two two wins that are going to stand out the most in Oregon's schedule. I think the only way Stanford's ranked is if they beat UCLA this weekend, by the way. Right. Yeah, I mean, if UCLA, this is who they have to play before – Oregon. They play at Stanford this week, and then they're back home against Arizona State, and then they hit a two-game road swing um, at Arizona, at Washington. I think if they beat Stanford this week, they should go undefeated until they play Oregon. And you beat a Stanford, you beat an Arizona State, and then the week before you play Oregon, you you win at Washington. Even though we've joked about how bad Washington is, that would that win would still resonate pretty well. You could argue UCLA might get themselves back into that 15 range. You know, they might be 17, 16, 15. They could maybe crack their way into you know 14 or 13 again, um, which would be absolutely phenomenal from a resume standpoint for Oregon if they get that and then they beat UCLA. Um, that would set things up really nicely for Oregon because then they would probably have, as long as both Fresno State and Ohio State continue to win, they have three top 25 wins um, and games that are you know, against opponents that are pretty good. So I, I, I think Ohio State's the, the best win of the schedule. I don't think um, there'll be anything that comes close to that because you factor in it was on the road. Yep. It was uh, the first game Morgan had played in front of a hostile crowd since 2019. Um, they were out without Kayvon Thibodeau. They were without Justin Flo. Um, you know, the committee takes into account injuries and 
that was one where it's like, well, if they can keep it close and they lose and then they run the table the rest of the way, they could argue to the committee, hey, we didn't have the best player in college football. We didn't have another one of our key starters in this game, and, and we just barely lost. Uh, um, and so they ended up winning and without those things. So then they can go like, hey, we didn't have these guys, and we still won. Now look how good we are. So I, I think Fresno State will come in second, probably third overall at the end of the year, um, maybe fourth, depending on what happens with UCLA and who, you know, how they handle things. And maybe, maybe Utah, you know, figures things out and turns the table, you know, a little bit and goes on a win streak. I mean, they play Washington State this week and they go to USC and get a big win there. You know, maybe the Utes can can turn things around by that late November game, and it turns into a, a top twenty-five showdown again. It's, Cam Rising's got to be amazing. They changed quarterbacks in that game, by the way, um, and Cam Rising was pretty good at the end of the game. So he has to be awesome for Utah to take a step. I, just one thought here before we send it away, um, Matt. We joked about this after Washington lost to Montana and then lost to Michigan. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or if we just talked about it on Slack, but the concern being that Washington would get kind of hot. Do we think that's starting to happen? They Please beat, no. They beat Arkansas State. 52 to 3, though. I mean, they showed a little bit of something. I'm not – it's it's too early. Okay. It's too early for – I mean – So you still think they're going to win like three, four games? I think they're probably – they're going they're right in that four to seven range. Okay. Seven's pretty good. Um, I, I think best case scenario, they, they probably go seven – um, probably worst case scenario, they probably win two two more games. I mean, let's just real quick, let's just look at their schedule. You know, they've got to play Cal at home this week. Um, that'll tell us a ton. We'll learn a lot. That'll tell us a ton. If they win that one convincingly, they'll look good. But I don't think they're going to beat Oregon State. That's a that's a at Oregon State. Really, you know, okay. the Beavers' offense is pretty good. I don't think they're going to beat UCLA. Uh, they'll beat Arizona on the road. I don't think they're going to beat Stanford on the road. I don't think they're going to beat Oregon. No. Um, they play Arizona State at home. That's one where it's probably a coin toss. They'll, they'll beat. They'll probably beat Colorado. Um, I don't know about Washington State. This might be the year the Apple Cup goes to the Cougars. Maybe. Yeah, I, I just think that I, I, I'm starting to think that there's a road to them winning like seven games and it's just a disaster for the conference because they're so bad in non-conference play. Um, but again, I, I kind of hope I'm wrong for a variety of reasons <laughs> and we don't have to get into all of them, but I think we all know which some of them are. Um, but uh, I was I was just a little bit like and this is how bad. Sorry, this is how bad the Pac-12 is, is that I was probably more impressed with Washington beating Arkansas State 52 to three than it was almost any result the Pac-12 had all weekend. And that just says how crappy the weekend was. So I'm trying to find a spin to be like, hey, maybe someone's actually good. But I, I don't actually think they're that good. But um, thought it had to be brought up because it was, again, like the most impressive <laughs> win the conference had maybe all weekend. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for sending them in. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. And make sure to go to YouTube, Oregon Ducks on 24-7 Sports. Check that podcast out on YouTube as well. And then, as always, go to DuckTerritory.com for more coverage leading up to Oregon at home against Arizona, 730 kick this Saturday from Austin Stadium. 
Until we talk to you later this week, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.